it's all over. Now we'll come to Tombstone. No. Oh my God, wait a minute, it's Paul Bear! It's Paul Bear! And that, that's gotta be, that's gotta be Kane! That's gotta be Kane! Oh my God, he just ripped the door off its hinges! Fans, it's time for another dose of professional wrestling discussion as me and my tag team partner participate in a flurry of words and verbiage and badinage about some part of wrestling, an aspect, a curio, an individual, a faction, a news story, a political stance, and we may factor all of these in in this week's discussion. But yes, this is Let Me Tell You Something. I am your co-host, Lorca Mullen, and with me, as always, is the Mosh to my Thrasher, the Ron Simmons to my Butch Reed, the Una Bomb to my Al Snow, Simon Cross. Simon, how you doing, mate? I'm not too bad, especially after an introduction as storied as that one. Uh, you truly are the Howard Finkel of the introducing Oh, God, I uh, hope world. you don't have as... as catastrophic a weight gain over the next few years <laughs> like he's done my god it's remarkable when you look back at what he was like even in like 94 and I, ow, it's just i can't I watch it, legend's house it's too yeah. depressing on i think levels. it's good that the michelin man's found work as howard finkel i it think is, that's a good step for him it is it is a good sign as as maybe the final part of my introduction to you suggests we are going to be talking about an individual. This is the first time we're going to concentrate a whole episode to one person. Now, some people would expect you usually to maybe talk about a Hulk Hogan, a Bruno Sammartino, a Ric Flair, a Dusty Rose. We're not interested in that. We're interested in... Well, we aren't going to be interested in that, but we want to talk about someone that maybe is a key figure in, in a more recent wrestling fan's fandom and someone that's kind of been a constant for 20 years now in, in the wrestling product. He's been a, a known individual. He's a wrestler that's had many peaks and many valleys and it is Glenn Jacobs, better known as the Red Monster Kane. It's, it's, you're right, he is such a constant. I mean, if Kane was a person in the English education system, mm. he'd be now taking his AS levels. That's yes. how long he's been around. Yes, someone who was born 
the day that Kane debuted would yeah be in sixth form about to head into university. And there's not many people that can say they've been a part of every I imagine I mean I don't have the stats to hand, but was he has he been in every WrestleMania since WrestleMania fourteen? Let's see if we can uh, go, go to our memory banks. Fourteen, Undertaker. He wasn't he I can stop you right there. Okay, good. He wasn't at thirty. He didn't compete at thirty, I'm almost okay. certain. Alright. Was he was he not in the uh, battle royal? The um Oh um was he Yeah, in... probably. If he was in any <laughs> in that. I, I know this doesn't sound like a good opinion coming from, you know, the one that's meant to be more modern out of the two of us, but I can't remember everyone who was in that. Good lord, that was a car wreck. Oh, no one can remember anything. Uh, what Simon is uh, elaborate, well, what I'll elaborate on what Simon just said is that we come from two very different generations of wrestling fandom. When Kane debuted, I was very much in the throes of puberty. And when Kane debuted, what were you still in your nappies at that point, Simon? Or were you a couple of years after that? I, I was six. Six. When Kane debuted. So, yeah, just a couple more years left of nappy training. <laughs> we developed over uh, the Neaton way. Yes. <laughs> well, you got you got to store them somewhere, haven't you? You didn't you didn't have a running latrine until two thousand and two. Mate, it still mystifies me that you know it doesn't come out of a well. <laughs> so yes, Kane. Are we going to talk just about Kane? Are we not going to be mentioning your, your um, Isaac Yankum DDSs, your Unabomber, which was or Unabomber? I'm not sure how they pronounced it. Which was his Smoky Mountain wrestling guys that kind of first brought him to people's attention, and, and he found an early champion in Jim Cornette, and he actually wrestled his first ever match with the Undertaker under that uh, guise in 1994, 95, I believe, and the Undertaker then. Gave him a good word, and and that's where Isaac Yankum DDS came from. <laughs> so, but then so many other greater, richer rewards, and, and of course the fake Diesel debacle. But it all came to a third time as a charm. I think if you look at uh, the career of Glenn Jacobs, spoiler alert, the guy that plays Kane, uh, you have to look at it as uh, before Kane and well before Bad Blood and after Bad Blood. Yes. Um, before Blood Bud is, I mean, I've heard all the rumours of the fake Diesel looking back, my research of the um, infamous invasion in WCW and how the WWE failed spectacularly in its response to it and how good old Glenn got caught up in that. Uh, and I've read about Isaac Yankum DDS in a little bit of detail, but I only really know Kane as Kane. Mm. I mean, you know him and his previous guys because, you know, that's what you watched, but I've... I didn't know that was him until a few years later when I read yeah. into it and finding out that Isaac Yankum and Diesel 2 were the same person. But I know what you mean. This person was a, a factor in my wrestling fandom before um, the Kane, um, which mm. was uh, which was what was there when you got into it. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I was, Kane was already well established by the time I started watching, so <laughs> I've only really ever known him as Kane. So that's an interesting thing. When you, what was your, what can you recall being your first vivid memory of Kane? Was it one of the first ever shows you watched? Did Kane turn up? What era Kane was this? Was this still with? He was the, still masked. He was still was he? Because you can kind of plot it through different costumes as well as as, mm. as masks. 
because there was the original look, which was only just the one arm exposed, and the rest of his body was supposed to be covered in... And the more striped mask he yeah, had back then. It was sort of red, lashed stripes. I guess maybe supposed like to represent... Like scratch marks. Oh, yeah, it was, it was kind of, it was kind of a, a, a red mask with black over it, and then it switched to black with red. Um, <laughs> and, no, that doesn't make... I know that sounds silly, but it does make sense. Like, I think black was the predominant one, and then yeah. the red over and then then there was the big one where he uh changed into sort of the vest top which exposed more of his physique i think that was debuted sometime in 2000 mm. um, sort of so semi-see-through wasn't it semi-see-through yes yes and that was I also mean, when he seemed to be at his most uh bulkiest at his most mm. built so maybe that was his own at his own request <laughs> <laughs> i've been working on this i think i deserve to show it off <laughs> But it's inconsistent yeah. with your storyline. Shut up. Shut up. It works. <laughs> Just him in a mask and speedos by the end. It would have been yeah. if he had his way. <laughs> I've been working there's... with my glutes. I need oh. to show them. <laughs> well, there's horrific image. That's why you never really guest starred in Baywatch. I mean, uh, <laughs> there, was a, there was a pitch, but it failed spectacularly. I would like to have seen one of uh, Pamela Anderson then like, try to like carry him out of the water. That would have mm. been a curious one. I have... Uh, but bringing back to the original question, uh, my original memories of Kane, uh, as many people uh, who have you know listened to other episodes might not have known, but for all of you who are new, my first main WrestleMania I ever actually watched was WrestleMania 18. And on that card, he had Kurt Angle. Yes. And that was a really good match. Mm. Um, <clears throat> not the stereotypical Kane match either, because no. Kane, he's, he's a bit like, oh, he's a bit like a big show with a couple of extra gears. Yeah. It's a very slow, methodical style, especially the match that I watched late, earlier today, but we'll get to that later. Yes. He's, he kind of has a style that matches his opponent, but mm. he's... He's more agile, I think is the mm. point you're, you're making. He's a remarkably agile man for his size. Mm. Really, the only other people that can match him in that agility to that height are probably The Undertaker. And I'm not sure if I can think of anyone else really off the top of my head. Um, I don't know. Was Matt Morgan particularly athletic? In, in he was. Surprise? It was a little nippy. Yeah. Um, I think. Well, Uha Nation. Uh, who's but he's a. I mean, he's, he's a, a whole different man. class. But yeah, he's, he's a bulky. Only, I think he's only like six foot or so. There's yeah. there's a difference. I mean, when you're Kane, you're you're nine, ten inches taller than that, and you're mm. still being able to launch yourself off the top rope, and you're still able to. Leap in the air when you're being choke slammed by someone else. He was a man. He's a man of remarkable athleticism, which I don't think he gets the credit for uh, sometimes. That, that he's a man of that age and he can still leap off the top of a, the top rope and deliver a clothesline and get an amazing amount of airtime for that as well. Which is something that you know, I guess, comes from. I think he, he, he obviously that size he would have done basketball uh, <laughs> at high school and college level. Um, like most of the guys that time, Kevin Nash, D, um, Sean Mike, uh, not Sean well, Mike. We'd have him as, um, I'd say in, a, in like high school football terms, he'd made him, he's not quick enough for a cornerback, but if you put him in the lineback, he'd swap balls out the sky all day long for you. One-handed? <laughs> One-handed and bring them down to the mat. Yeah, yeah like, like <laughs> he'll have a, a ball in each hand and he'll spike them both like double choke slamming Kai and Ty. <laughs> Flag on the play! Flag on the play! The referee's <laughs> disputing that. He's looked at him. The referee's not disputing that anymore. anymore. <laughs> uh, well, Kane, as we know, has a storied history with uh, people in power. But <laughs> So that's interesting. So you came in, and so this was Kane of um, slightly more 
Um, well, he was working as a babyface at that point, and, and that's a difficult hmm. task in and of itself for the six foot nine, six foot ten cane to work a match as a babyface against the five foot eleven semi goofy hmm. comic uh, Kurt Angle character. Yeah, but I do think they pulled it off. I mean, they'd had a, an absolutely spectacular match about six months prior to that, towards the end of the um, Alliance WWF war, which was during the one-month angle fake switch mm. sides. Because he was... Uh, was Kane a member of Team WWF? Yes, he was for both yeah. the uh, inaugural brawl and the... So the, the, the top and tail of the feud, he was in both teams, which was, again, uh, an indication of how high he's held. he was held in standing at that point, that he was seen as one of the top mm. five guys uh, at both stages. And and that's an interesting... Because Kane did come in from the start in a main event program. I mean, he paid his dues... In over, through Isaac Yankum yeah, and the Unabomber. Through Isaac Yankum, through Diesel 2, through Unabomber, through working in the ter- whatever was left over the territories, doing the Memphis runs as you always do, and get paid absolutely nothing and live off of raw potatoes for uh, the three months that Jerry Lawler and Jerry Jarrett had you for. Mm. Um, <laughs> expected you to be appreciative of it. Um, and... and 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 so he, he paid his dues and he's earned his way, but he didn't necessarily... But, See, The Undertaker at that point, the previous few year, the previous year of The Undertaker had been a real kind of changing of his character because The Undertaker was kind of booked. I mean, this is supposed to be an episode about Kane, but it's about The Undertaker. You can't speak you of can't. Kane without The Undertaker. Yeah. Kane, The Undertaker as a, as a character had evolved quite a lot in the previous year, really, especially when he um, was dropped, when Paul Bearer was no longer managing him as well, which had been a year or so before then. And it sort so of he had to be. Up his- he, he, he set up a style, yeah. He, but he was also, but one of the things about the Undertaker from a from his babyface term really through to that '96 is that he was really his own little special attraction. He's always been booked very similarly to the way they used to book Andre the Giant when he was a babyface. That he kind of had his own little world and his own little stories, similar to how Andre the Giant would kind of only have Killer Khan or another individual like that, and he would go around and be sort of the special feature attraction for a, another guy's tag team match. Sort Outside of similar to the way he's been booked the last few WrestleManias. Yes, very much so, but instead of it being once a year, it's sort of, he has his own, someone's brought in and they are kind of his foil. So you would have, so from 92, after his feud with Jake the Snake, you had Kamala, and then you had the giant Gonzalez. Uh, oh. Then you had, and then you had Yokozuna, which was kind of a brief period where he was kind of brought back into the fold. And then offshooting from that, it was kind of his feud with the Million Dollar Team and feuding with King Kong Bundy and Karma. And characters who kind of came in explicitly to feud with The Undertaker. And really when their time with The Undertaker was over, they were kind of very quickly out of the picture. Um, And so... Kane could so very easily have been one of those characters that he was a six month thing. And really, out of all of the characters kind of brought into feud with The Undertaker, only he and Mick Foley as Mankind were really able to parlay their um, time with The Undertaker into their own storylines and their own feuds. And they were still key factors in The Undertaker's run for several years to come after that. Mm. Um and But then when The Undertaker was given the WWF Championship with Psycho Sid, uh, after beating Psycho Sid, he was then sort of ingrat- integrated more into the storylines. He was, 
a part of it, he would interact with Bret Hart, Shawn Michaels, The Nation of Domination, um, Steve Bates, Austin. Steve Austin. He would feud with them. He'd wrestle them. He'd tag team with them. He'd have interviews where he, because without Paul Bearer, he had to speak. And mm. also, his selling became more human as it was going on. He wasn't just the zombie sitting up. The, the Undertaker of 1990 versus The Undertaker of 1997 was a vastly different wrestler and a vastly different character. So when Kane turned up, to me, it was kind of... What excited me was it was kind of as close to you as you got to a wrestler facing another version of themselves... Because it was kind of 1997 Undertaker wrestling 1990 Undertaker. Mm. But it was this more humanized, still an amazingly, you know, guy semi-impervious to pain, but not completely impervious to pain. And him suddenly having to face the younger, more (sighs) deadly, seemingly more invulnerable version of himself. Mm. Sort of, in many ways, an offshoot of feud he had with Evil Undertaker back yes. at SummerSlam Very 94. So. Yes, but yeah. again, like especially if you compare the Undertaker to, uh, if you, especially if you compare Kane to Kamala, the Underfaker, as a lot of people called him, your Kamas, your Bundies, uh, your Bundies, your Giant Gonzalez's. He was of such a higher level of skill mm. and athleticism, athleticism, and just natural ability and aura. Mm. But similarly, he and Mick Foley were the ones that were able to continue on afterwards. And also, because the backstory and the character of Kane, as we were introduced, is one of the best introductory backstories that I think wrestling's ever given. Mm. The whole... You knew so much about this character before he turned up, but you still didn't know what he'd necessarily look like. Or would do. Or would do. Paul Bearer kept telling these stories about who he was and, and what he, that he was alive, and it was this. It was almost like this seven-year backstory that they'd always had, which they didn't really. Mm. But it all fitted in. It always made sense that the urn that had seemed to be the Undertaker's powers for all these years was representative of his parents' ashes yeah. that had been set on, that had been lost in the fire, and to Undertaker's own mind, Kane's ashes as well. But then it turns out that Kane was alive. And one of the things that I found fascinating, because I always loved the Kane character um, that was introduced. I loved the look. I loved the the colour scheme of the red and black against the Undertaker, sort of black and grey and purple. Uh, Mm. It was similar but different. And that he did have the costume and that the arm, to to emphasise that he had all these burns, that you only saw the one arm of his. The costume was one of the best bits about his debut, because here you've got this guy... You can't see his face. You don't really know how he's going to act until he rips off that door mm. and stares down the Undertaker. Mm. And you've got this striking guy. And the mask, the fact that you can't see him, you can't see what he's doing, you don't know what he's about, you're wondering. For years, all the commentators would have been like, what is under that mask, that hideous, hideous man that's under mm. that mask? They all have thought, you know, because obviously, you know, he'd been burnt in the fire. Mm. And you, even though... You kind of seen people like that, you know, in the walks of life and on the news and, you know, how yeah. it goes. You still wondered exactly what was under there. Yes. Yeah. Still. Yeah. It's, um, and I think if The Undertaker represented ice cold, you know, fog and, and darkness and. Sort of necromancy, mysticism. Necromancy, the coldness of death. Yeah. Um, 
Uh, and and the colour schemes, like I said, were grey. And, and and they would say when he would come out, a hush falls over, a chill in the air, my blood runs cold, they get goosebumps when they see him enter. Mm. Then Kane is the opposite to that. He is heart, hellfire and brimstone, as JR would always say. He was damnation. He was the ta- he was the he was the other side of the coin. Mm. That, that they all they made they always made sense as a joke. The fact that they were the same sort of height, the same sort, sort of, of size, sort of um, more representing fury and anguish. Really, yes. yeah. The hellfire damnation aspect of death, whereas the Undertaker kind of represented the cold, hard reality of death. Hmm. Um, the Undertaker was maybe a, a, a spiritual demon, whereas. Uh, he was death personified. He was the Grim Reaper, whereas Cain was the fiery um, punishment for your sins. And that was the Undertaker being punished for his sins of burning Cain uh, mm. to the point. And then Undertaker declared that it was not him, that Cain was the pyromaniac and he'd set the thing off. And then depending on whether the Undertaker was babyface or heel or Cain was babyface or heel, who was responsible for that fire was always chopped and changed, which was very frustrating. But that's another thing to get into as we go on. But again, the the ideas behind the Kane character as he was introduced, I mean, when we did our episode about debuts, I think we both agreed, he might have been the one that we agreed on as being in our joint Mount Rushmore. He is in our joint Mount Rushmore. He's the one that's in our joint Mount Rushmore. Because what we do in this show is that at the end of it, we give our Mount Rushmore particular matches or moments or something to tie in with the theme of this show. So at the end of this, we'll give our Mount Rushmore of our four top Kane moments. And in the episode where we did our four top debuts, the one that we agree on, which is the ultimate one, I think, was Kane. So that shows you how highly we think of Kane, uh, at least how how Kane was introduced. And then over the next few months, uh, Kane was just kind of a random, it was a random agent of chaos in a way that he would attack not just the Undertaker, but just at any point in the show, the lights could go out to signify that Kane's coming and he's going to wipe out everyone involved. And and that gave it a sense of urgency and, and excitement and unexpectedness. You got that a lot at the early stages of the mm. Attitude Era, that you didn't know exactly what was going to happen. Um, Similarly, it, uh, in the way that many monsters have been booked recently, your Rusevs, your yes. Margas, yes. Um, you know. And brilliantly, they did that brilliant actually with the shield as well, whenever the mm. shield just would feel like coming into attack. Like that moment after WrestleMania 29, where The Undertaker came out to give his victory speech and suddenly the shield music it happened. Off, it was yeah. like, whoa! Everyone got really excited. And similarly, if it was... Whether it was Vader or or Mick Foley as Dude Love or or most famously maybe most hilariously in the middle of one of the novelty Mexican midget matches suddenly they had like go out and Kane <laughs> Kane clearly not having much time for um short person based com- wrestling comedy spots um <laughs> but that was what was happening at that time he was kind of reflective of that time of that new I mean. This was around the exact moment that Vincent Mann gave his Attitude Era speech on telly before an episode of Raw, and, and it was really the start of this. But it wasn't the negative side. And I think one of the reasons for that, listening in on it recently, is I don't think Kane was that much of a Vince Russo product. It seems to me that Kane was a Jim Cornette passion project. Mm. The Jim Cornette worked with it a lot and said that a lot of it was inspired, and I'd always thought this would be the case. Jim Cornette's a huge kind of... Um, he's just a nerd, basically. Uh, you wouldn't be surprised looking at him. And <laughs> He's he, a beautiful man. Yes, very handsome man. Uh, John Hamm could play him in the movie of his life. <laughs> um, and But he loved 
like old school monster movies, like the Universal Monsters and also the more recent ones, because Kane is very clearly of the school of the Michael Myers, the Jason, the faceless, cold killer. Mm. Uh, and I, I, I will be shocked if Glenn Jacobs, clearly a man that cares about his performance and his the quality of what he's doing and, and what he brings to his character, must have watched the old Halloween movies and the old Friday the 13th movies, uh, made to the point of insanity, uh, to get that kind of mannerisms, because there's a lot of Michael Myers and there's a lot of Jason in particular in Kane's character, especially with the sort of disfigured face yeah. and what have you, and just that constant unstoppable machine. Oh, well, in the early days, that's the unstoppable machine, certainly. Um, but, I mean, you mentioned, obviously, the first time I saw him was Babyface. And as I start, this is Monster Heel. It was all well and good to have this faceless demon. But as the Kane character developed, and I can't exactly remember when he officially first became a face. But um, do you think the fact that he wasn't able to show his facial expressions behind this, like, cold, faceless monster, you know, this that's one we're meant to like. Like the fact that we can't see him or sort of empathise with him could have stifled him. Any potentially did have to like become a top line good guy. Uh, potentially, but I don't think Kane ever should have been a good guy for very uh, long or very often. He always worked better as a heel. But he had those amazing explosive moments where I think one of the be- best Kane babyface moments was when he came out at the end of that amazing ten man tag team match on Raw and just wiped the whole place out. And Paul Bearer came back for for one of his last few runs with the promotion. <laughs> and again, he kind of uh, had a, a change up to his costume where it was no longer again no longer black with red. It was red with black, or, or the other way around. No, red with black. It was now black with red, um, <laughs> the other way around. Um, black with red trim uh, might be the best way of putting it. Um, so he could work, and 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 I think it's testament to how good he was under the mask that the WWF didn't try and take him maskless before, because. Vincent Mann has never liked masks. They've never liked masks. The only reason they kept Rey Mysterio in the mask for so long was the merchandise sales that they've been able to get off of him. And if you look at his mask, it definitely uh, shows a lot more of his face than, say, a Sin Cara mask ever did. Mm. Um, but the Kane mask, again, it, because he was so emotionless for the most part, it, it worked. Um, but like you say, for the babyface run, well, you could, I mean, already, uh, he was sort of opening up and he was screaming and, and I'm just thinking what was his, cause he had a kind of, it was a weird kind of off and on with him, in, especially in, uh, early 99, late 98, where he was, was in the corporation or wasn't in the corporation and he was committed to the, uh, an asylum and he, and he had other people on his face. So I think really the, the time that he became babyface was when X-Pac, uh, tag teamed with him in mid 1999, sort of an offshoot from them both feuding with Triple H, but then Triple H being moved on to other things. They were both kind of um, similar to to Kane's partnership with Daniel Bryan, how they both started off working with CM Punk, and then they were sort of what was left over, and yeah. they formed an unlikely tag team out of it. <laughs> and I guess it was X Pac, and, and that's what we were talking about: um, the gradual humanization that you had, a lot quicker than than it was with The Undertaker. Kane went from being the guy who couldn't be put down until you hit him with three tombstones to a guy that could go down to an um, X-Pac X-Factor um, or a spinning heel kick within the space of less than a year and a half. Mm. Um, and, and it's a weird thing with the WWF, with their monsters, that they do kind of... The, the Kane can go from 
an unstoppable killer to being knocked out by a spinning heel kick to being an unstoppable killer to being stretched out at the expense of Gene Snitsky to being an unstoppable killer and back and forth again. And again, I think that's kind of a testament to Glenn Jacobs and, and, and his work that he can play both a similar Mark Henry. Mark Henry was for so long sexual chocolate and the comedy character. And, and then he had his title run a few years later. Just very believably once. It's like it's awakening a sleeping giant, I suppose. And, and Kane does that very well. On that point, do you think they've gone to Kane's well in the back and forth one too many times? I think if you've been wrestling for 17 years and you've got Vince McMahon in charge of your storylines, you will eventually have gone to the well too many times. <laughs> I, I mean, um, Kane has done an amazing shift. He's done great work. But if you were to tell me this was Kane's last year as a wrestler, um, whether that be as we're recording in 2014 or when this will be released, probably in 2015, that wouldn't break my heart. I mean, I, 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 I don't think I don't think he's pissing on his legacy the longer he goes. I don't think he's diluting it, mm. but I do think that he's too because he's so reliable. I think he's just a safe pair of hands, and they need. I to think he's about new, to. They need to create a new cane. Person. I think he's about to start pissing on his legacy. Mm. There's a few things uh, that were alerted to me like recently. Um, I was talking to, I think it was just after Survivor Series, I was talking to a very good friend of mine who found out on the internet, and you know how reliable the internet is, is, is it if you include house shows up until a couple of weeks ago, Kane's win percentage for the year of 2014 was 4%. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> I mean, you know, those sort of things... Shouldn't mean that much. Wins and losses aren't everything in pro wrestling. That's one of the fundamentals. But a stat like that... A stat like that is very telling. I don't think that you need to be, you know... I don't think that you need to... If if someone loses on Raw in January of 1999, I don't think it's going to affect how people perceive them if they are winning in February of 2003. You know, the Ultimate Warrior squashed Triple H in less than 30 seconds or something crazy like that at WrestleMania 12. And then four years after that, he's the best in the business. He's the game. And it's not like that's not believable. Mm. Um, But Daniel Bryan went from a comedy tag team to uh, WWE champion in what? Just over a year? Yeah. 18 months? Exactly. Um, They see Kane as a safe pair of hands. And if he loses, he doesn't lose any of his heat for lack of a better word i hate being i hate being a uh, i hate overuse of of inside terms because i don't think it's our place to say them but you know what i mean he hasn't lost his luster he hasn't lost his it doesn't hurt kane to be i mean it would hurt kane if he was not if he was beaten by a a zack rider now or something like that but if kane is hit with a zigzag from dolph ziggler and gets pinned it's not going to hurt him well and it, and mainly it can because, help I mean, dolph this ziggler is... Yeah, well, this is more linking to me being a bit more in the current products, but um, a zigzag from Dolph Ziggler at the moment wouldn't be a be perfectly fine because of the way Dolph Ziggler's sort of they've sort of restarted the push again for for Dolph. Mm. Um, but I mean, as we record now, I don't we in don't like December of 2014. But uh, in the last couple of episodes, he has been uh, feuding, well, having matches with Adam Rose mm. and hitting uh, the comedy bunny with tombstones after each match, which oh, has got a great, like, obviously, recept- great pop from, you know, the, the Smarks who do attend Raw yeah. and SmackDown because the bunny is, for want of a better word, not loved amongst those guys. No. But it, it sort of shows that, because I get the funny feeling uh, and... 
I, well, I hate being the guy that makes predictions on podcasts. Um, even my other one as well, of course, Mid-Table Crisis, cheap pop. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I get a feeling that Bunny might end up accidentally eliminating Kane at this year's Rumble. And for a man who's got such an illustrious Rumble history, mm. to end up having that happen to him, I think it's going to be the point where his legacy gets covered in piss. Um, well, to that I will make a counterpoint. The Undertaker got eliminated by Maven. Yeah, that was with a beard. That was like during Maven's like hyper push. Yeah, um, but I think I I think that Kane is. Um, I mean that four percent win percentage is pretty. It's a good. It's a it's a funny thing to laugh at. But you've also got to realise who are those against. Those will have been against John Cena, Dean Ambrose, uh, Dolph Ziggler, people that are in Daniel high Bryan. Daniel Bryan, people that are in high esteem with the WWE. You know, it's like if if he is losing to the Bunny. In, in six matches that are contributing to that four percent win percentage, that's a that's a problem. I mean, the the win loss percentage that got me much more annoyed was that through the entirety of Luke Harper's most recent run, from winning the Intercontinental Championship off of Dolph Ziggler to losing it back to him, he had a on screen win loss of zero wins to eleven losses. That's that's the kind of win losses that bother me more because Luke Harper is a man that needs his wins at this stage. I don't think Kane. Kane Admittedly, is... some of them did come for him intentionally getting DQ'd in a heelish way and yeah. counted out. He did. Not all of them are like you know him losing as a result sort of thing. But he loser. never once successfully defended the Intercontinental Championship, and the it's it, it's just I think that's a problem. That's a whole thing we can do a whole episode about. About the we can get a lot deeper into that one. Yeah. Um, I mean, I certainly can, but we'll come we'll come to that time we talk about well, let's, that. Let's go a bit back further, back to where we were. We we talked about the Kane X Pac uh, era and the humanising of Kane to link him with the Intercontinental Championship. There was a period in time when Kane was Intercontinental Champion that may lead to the worst moment of Kane's legacy. If you want to talk about the whole thing, do you know what I'm about to mention? Um, I think I think it's about a certain kind of woman, a certain kind of woman, a certain dead kind of woman. <laughs> yes, when Kane was the Intercontinental Champion and he was going to get into a title unification match with Triple H. Now you'd think the final oh, match. I remember. Of the, yeah, I remember the fact that it was. I forgot that bit until you just mentioned it. That was. It was. It was going to be the Intercontinental title was going to be dissolved into the World Heavyweight Championship, and you'd think that as they were announcing it at the time, the last match in the history of the Intercontinental Championship would be a big enough selling point. But apparently at this point, Vince really wanted to emphasise like backstory, soap opera-y type storylines. And so they decided that Triple H would rain on Kane's parade because Kane had come back a few weeks before and had wiped out the Un-Americans and had tag-teamed with the Hurricane and won the tag-team titles and won TLC4, um, won um, the Intercontinental titles from Chris Jericho, and he said he was happy for the first time in his life. He even smooched Terry, Mm. uh, the fantasy of most pimply 15-year-olds who don't understand the di- the difference between someone being uh, attractive and someone being malnourished and having large silicon breasts. That's true. Just um, to go a little bit back, he did win TLC against three other teams on his own. On his own, yes. He did a partner in that match. So they were pushing that, Kane... Yeah, they were pushing Kane hard at that point to be sacrificed at the altar of 
chubby, beardless Triple H of 2002 who came out and said, are you happy? You might be happy, but is Katie Vick happy, Kane? And it turned out that after a wrestling event, Kane had driven uh, another female that went to wrestling or was a wrestler as well, I don't know, before he signed up with the WWF and there was a car crash and Katie died and it was an accident. But Triple H claimed otherwise. Mm-hmm. And boy, did he claim otherwise. This was kind of... I think this is one of those things that you hear stories that Vincent Mann will come up with an idea and in a weird way, if everyone tells him it's a bad idea... It makes you want to do it more. It makes him want to do it more. And I feel like anyone who's honest with Triple H, with, with Vincent Mann, would have told him that this was a bad idea and he would have gone, fuck you, I'm going to do it because I'm Vince McMahon, goddammit. <laughs> well, the and trouble is when you're that successful, you know, when you're that successful and you've just beaten WCW, you feel bulletproof. And this is the problem. Because you can, you could do a storyline about a wrestler who has a dark secret and a dickhead heel bringing it out. An example of that that kind of worked was when Chris Jericho uh, exposed that CM Punk was related to substance abusers and was, uh, um, well, and then Vincent Mann apparently thought it was a really big deal for him to have been born out of wedlock, and he was a bastard! But th- that sort of thing of substance abuse issues, because that added to the backstory of CM Punk. Because when CM Punk was a heel and straight edge, it was all about how much better he was than everyone, and it was kind of he's a superior dick to everyone. Mm. But then they actually exposed the fragile, the frailties underneath that, that he comes from a family of abusive, uh, of, of substance abusers. So that works. So you could have done... It humanised like him. You, you uh, can't humanise a wrestler about the fact that when they were young, they did something stupid. They did it similarly a few months later when they had Triple H exposed Booker T's um, past misdeeds as a criminal when he was young. And again, that would have been fine if they'd have had Booker T win at the end of that storyline, but they <laughs> didn't. Um, I don't. I don't like to be again. I don't like to be super smarky, and I don't like to be the person that goes, "Yeah, Triple H, worst thing that's ever happened." But those two things happened with Triple H's involvement, and they are two of the worst things that happened in, in wrestling storylines of that time. Because Katie Vick's storyline does not work for Kane, not the Kane that you've established, and it didn't work. And they've obviously made jokes about it since then, but it didn't work. Because of what they'd introduced about Kane, to the point, and I really wondered if I should have done my research and actually purchased this. I don't know if you're even aware of this. That they published a novel about the backstory of Kane to try and retrofit everything so that it made sense. So Ooh. the Kane that had been burnt alive, that turned out to be Paul Bearer's son, that turned out to be, <laughs> that also turned out to drive. Katie Vick to his death as a, in an early wrestling show when he was supposed to be, you know, emerging from his cocoon-like existence for the past 20 years to exact his revenge on The Undertaker. These all count! These are all the same person! But it's going to take a novel the length of 300 pages to explain why. It's like a yeah, that's a task you did blatantly give to the work experience boy to see if he could hack the industry. Oh, my God. I just... I, I, I was curious to read that, but I've got... 
I mean, I'm struggling through Inherent Vice by Thomas Pynchon, so I don't think I could even manage that book. Just for, for the fury it would invoke in me. I don't know about you. But I, I, that right there, the, the book that you name drops that you're currently reading shows the difference between you and I, because I'm currently reading The Secret Agent. Um, oh, I bought my brother that. I've actually read some of his articles. Is that a good read? It's, um, I mean, oh, this no, is a grand aside. Footballer. I'm talking about Secret yeah. Football. No, yeah. the, secret, the secret agent is basically the same, but with a footballing agent. But mm. that that just again shows that you're you've got this you know established. That just shows the kind of analysis we are. <laughs> I'm kind of in the now, and he's yeah. kind of off doing his own thing. Yeah, very much so. Um, but that's just mainly that. So when the that in a few weeks' time, I can go. Oh, the book was better. But I genuinely think maybe this time the film will be better since it's Paul Thomas Anderson. But anyway, that was a sidetrack. Um, grand aside, but we do that a lot. But it got, but again, this is a testament to Glenn Jacobs as a performer that he was able to ride that wave and, and keep shake going. Shake that off. Shake that off. And then again, actually, two people that fell out from the Triple H story, similarly to Kane, uh, tag team with X-Pac in 99 and tag team with Daniel Bryan in 2012, mm. uh, in between then, he, he had his run with Rob Van Dam because that's one of the things that Kane's always been able to do. He's always had very good chemistry with different people. It was it was The Undertaker, it was Mick Foley, it was um, Rob Van Dam, it mm. was Albert. He had crazy good chemistry with Albert, uh, to the point that they had this spectacular match again on SmackDown that you wouldn't have expected either of them to have had unless it was against a guy who you perceived to be the quote-unquote better workhorse. Yeah. Um, again, which is a kind of a nonsense. Because if you talk, to, if any wrestler talks about Kane in public, they have nothing but nice things to say about them. You know. CM oh yeah, I mean, CM, uh, CM Punk in his uh, recent interview said that Glenn, uh, Glenn was a delight to work with. Um, even at a time when he didn't really want to work with him, he still mm. enjoyed the experience because he is a consummate professional. Mm. Because. The Undertaker is always seen as one of the best as well, because if you look at it, uh, I don't know of that many people who've come out injured from a match against The Undertaker or Kane that I can... None that are really... I mean, their reputation might be injured, like it was to Chronic in 2001. <laughs> um, but it's never... I don't think he's ever... And you, he does high-impact, dangerous moves on them. He's He and The Undertaker are the only ones that are trusted to do pile drivers mm. in the promotion, and he does choke slams that will take a guy up 50 feet in the air not 50 feet in the air you know seven feet in the air and if they if they, <laughs> if they land badly on their necks that's going to be a, a hell of a bruise um he'll and he's done that he's done that off the top rope to like matt hardy during their feud um but yeah kane has had remarkable chemistry with a large number of individuals both serious and comical he can switch back and forth very often. Speaking obviously. of the comical point, and the shows the way he shook off uh, the Katie Vick thing, is uh, one of his famous Dr. Shelby segments. And I was a great lover of Dr. Shelby. That was <laughs> genius. It worked. Mm. <clears throat> and it's him in group therapy. And yeah. it's him talking about his past. And he's like, I did have a relationship with a girl called Katie, but that didn't turn out so well. Yeah, and you just hear the crowd roaring with laughter. Yeah. That was one of the few instances of the WWE going, yeah, we, we screwed up there. Because, I honestly, Katie Vick is up there with the, the gobbledygookers and the... The Shockmaster. Oh, the Shockmaster wasn't them, but... But it's yeah, that kind that of level thing. of badness. Uh, and, of course, the, the subsequent uh, Triple H... Store, uh, Triple H... Although, 
that was the the final to give any significance the the backlash that that whole storyline received especially the sketch that Triple H did where he was wearing a cane mask and then pretended to have necrophiliac sex with um the corpse of Katie Vick and got a pool of pink jelly pus in his hand saying I screwed your brains out which kind of shows just what kind of sense of humour Vincent Mann has. Because he then, I remember they released a public statement expecting there to be a big furore about it from like the moral guardians of this world. Where really just, the people that paid attention just said that was stupid. It wasn't yeah. offensive on a moral level, it was offensive on an intellectual level. And we're fucking wrestling fans. So, you know, it takes a lot to insult our intelligence in the first place. And that was the moment where they said the attitude era is over. That they can't re they can't put the light the genie back in the bottle. They can't The horse has bolted. The horse has bolted and many other metaphors that you want to use. <laughs> um it was a game of two halves. Um it was it's it's a it, so Kane has been a significant part of, of these different eras and, and he's been through all of them. He was a part of the Attitude Era. He was a part of the new generation era as kind of that where it was the the evil dentist because this came from the period where they had the evil dentist the good rubbish collector the evil plumber collector yeah the evil tax collector the evil plumber the good motor car driver and and, and so he was kind of he was he was always a he was the consummate professional you give me a terrible gimmick I'll do the best I can you know he wasn't awful as Isaac hmm. Yankum he wasn't one of the ones that you re- remember as being uh, and, a even after, and even after, I mean, speaking of going back to his Rob Van Dam thing, I mean, it was um, whilst he was with Rob that he uh, he lost his mask. Mm. I remember he, it was a stipulation, and if he lost, he had to unmask. But if he won, I think he got a title shot or something like yeah, that. Yeah, it was against Triple H, and it was on a Raw with no build-up. Mm. You could have made a pay-per-view out of that, and, and they could have built it up as something. They could have had Kane explain the history behind the mask, what he sees... And and I think people would have paid to see it the, oh, the yeah. first time. Because one of the things that they did... I remember when Kane debuted, there was the reading story about Kane's debut, that they had experimented with makeup effects to see if they could make his face... Because um, like I said, Kane, uh, Vince Van doesn't like, wear, doesn't like masks. He thinks it ex- doesn't allow a wrestler to express themselves. Tell the story. Tell the story. And if you look at the work they've been able to do with Sami Zayn since he's dropped the El Generico mask, there's... There's an argument for what they're saying. Um, but with Kane, they, they, they came to the conclusion that the, the mask, that the makeup effects weren't good enough. And I think more than anything, the, the sweats and, and the perspiration that you, you go through mm. uh, during a match. I mean, look at the Ultimate Warrior from the start of a, of a match to towards the end of the match, especially something like, like by the end of WrestleMania 6, all of his face paint had, had gone off. Yeah. So whatever makeup they would have done under those harsh lights. It's lines, like and, and when you're just until recently had a similar problem. Seem to have fixed that now. Mind you, Goldust, yeah. uh, now he's a tag team wrestler. He doesn't really do take much. No. He doesn't, you know, he doesn't put that much of a shift in, mainly because his brother's far, you know, is the more athletic one, despite Goldust being the best he's ever been. Mm. Uh, and even his brother's face paint still there, holding up pretty well. And um, I think it does wear off a bit, though, doesn't it? It does a little bit, a bit, but yeah. like the corners, not like the main thing. It's it it yeah. works. But even if, even if a slight amount of that was suddenly to peel off, it would ruin Kane. Yeah, it ruined the Kane. And so 
when he first took the mask off and they tried to sell that he was mutilated and scarred and it was really just really bad mascara mm. over his face and, and that they'd, he'd clearly, if you watch the match, you can tell this is the first time he's wrestling with a wig, not with his, uh, real hair because yeah. they had him shave half his hair off and have this weird kind of, um, mo, is it curly from the three stooges? Yeah. Uh, that weird kind of back perm. Ah, oh, Garfunkel. I, I couldn't figure that bit out. Why that? Yeah. As a haircut. <laughs> but they, again, they kind of were like, yeah, this doesn't work, so let's say that these scars were psychological scars. Mm. And that was an okay workaround, I think. The idea that it had always been in Kane's mind. It got I him mean, out of jail. If you want to, if you want to get really super nerdy, there was, I remember there was one time when it was the evil corporation and they were attacking all of their opponents and one of them was Kane and they unmasked him and took a photo to, and they said they'd show it to humiliate him and they were all going, oh, that's disgusting, oh, it's vile. So that doesn't make sense. Um, but I, you know, that's really nitpicky to the... You could, you could palm that off as just general bullying, but yes, as, as yes. I say these days, be a star, kids. Yeah, but Katie Vick is a... It, it was not Katie Vick levels of inconsistency. Um, and, and, it, and it reinvigorated Kane for a while. He was the killer again, and he was able to main event storyline feuds with Triple H and, and Goldberg. Because it's very easy for a man who's six foot nine and built like that to suddenly become indestructible. Yeah. In a way, it's kind of harder for him to be sympathetic, to, to be... Um, to, for him to take a beating off of someone and, and then get make a comeback because there's very few guys that are of their size. And again, it's, you, you had your... And, and some of the best ones were X-Pac. X-Pac was able to work a really good heel versus babyface feud with the roles unlike what you would usually expect because he was such a, an obnoxious prick anyway. And they were and they were being harsh, you know, calling him the big red retard. and um, Especially after he'd done so much to help him before. Yeah, uh, and really the heel turn didn't make sense in that regards. But uh, people turn heel, and, and if you can work with it, you can work with it. And that was some. Of, I think if you were to look at Kane's best work as a babyface, I think his feud, even though it went on too long, it went on far too long. But the first part of his feud with X Pac, if it had ended with the steel cage match they'd had at Armageddon, and maybe if they'd incorporated the Tory storyline in before that, that could have worked. But then when it kept on with Tory, it, it kind of Lost the wheels, and then it had that very unsatisfying end at WrestleMania 16, where Kane ended his feud with a tag team match with Rikishi against X-Pac and Road Dog. It's not really the same as a feud capper in a cage. Yeah. I'd say, alternatively, his best babyface run was when he and Daniel Bryan's team, Hell No, were against the Shield. It'd be those two, and like a, a special guest yeah. that would always take on the Shield, and yeah. It just shows how much of a safe pair of hands both of them were in terms of like you got, you're guaranteed to get a consistent performance is that they helped incubate that team to the levels where they are one of the most raved about teams of this generation. I'm always a huge fan of tag team matches where they accentuate each other's strengths and weaknesses. I do love a, a tag team like the Rockers or the Usos or, or the Brainbusters where they're very similar in styles. But I similarly do love it when there's a finesse, high-flying, technical guy maybe, some combination of that, with a big powerhouse partner as well. Great Jericho. Uh, show Jericho, the Heart Foundation Fiction. from back in the day. Uh, arguably the Colossal Connection, uh, Andre the Giant and Haku. Um... Uh, yeah, I, I like that. To type. an extent, the Brotherhood of Destruction. 
slow zombie s take of more fast paced cane. Sort you, of, you maybe. could palm that one off. They, they were kind of yeah, similar but different. I understand what you mean by that. Basically, Big Daddy made a whole career out of that format <laughs> with uh, some young whippersnapper as his tag team partner. In the past, it was people like Stephen Regal and the Dynamite Kid and Rollerball Rocco, and then he'd come in and... I mean, that was kind of the big guy saved the day, but with Team Hell No and with Kane and X-Pac, it was kind of what the other one lacked, their partner brought in spades. Yeah. And with Rob Van Dam as well. Rob Van Dam was the high flyer, uh, emphasis on high, and and Kane was the powerhouse. Um. So, yeah, and, and I think that's one of the reasons why Kane is... I think Kane is one of the most adaptable and underrated wrestlers in the WWE of the past 20 years. I don't think he's underrated by the by Vince McMahon and the people in the know, but I do sometimes think that, especially the online community, because he hasn't necessarily been involved in lots of four-star, five-star matches, they kind of say, oh, no, Kane's on telly. And maybe because the the, the fact that he's been pretty mm. much on screen for 17 years... And at a time when they can't book anyone well, has well, created a staleness that they're uh, putting on Kane that maybe he doesn't if, deserve. I think, I think if he was still being involved in good storylines, he'd still be a good factor in the show. I think they tried to do something with Kane, and this, I think this is the biggest elephant in the room in terms of the Kane character. It's uh, the birth of corporate Kane uh, <laughs> earlier this year. I mean, that, that just... I mean, I've talked to several different fans, and a lot of them are saying, a lot of people I know are saying, at this point, can't we just bin off Kane? Can't we just have him have his like sunset moment and just go? Well, the simple fact of the matter is that Glenn Jacobs' Kane is 47 years old, mm. and he has a lot of other interests outside of professional wrestling. He is a, He's one of those, unfortunately... He's of the Ron Paul, Ayn Rand school of libertarianism that believes things like there shouldn't be a department of education and all those sort of crazy ideas and that you need to invest in gold and Glenn Beck actually knows what he's talking about. That kind of, that kind of, unfortunately, even though he's a very, he's a very intelligent man. I mean, he used to be a teacher, which mm. you would not hand in your homework like that. <laughs> um, and, and he won the uh, second, ever Weakest Link episode uh, with WWF wrestlers. <laughs> when he was masked, which was weird. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> which is brilliant, though. And he's a very intelligent guy. And I think that's, again, one of the reasons why this man has always liked him and been around. If anyone does get the chance, do watch that episode. Not just for Kane, who is bloody good on that show from a general knowledge point of view, but from the back and forth between Adam Robertson and Jerry Lawler. That is <laughs> gold. I can't remember if I've seen all... I know I've seen the one where... She disputes that what asks why Stephanie's not on if she doesn't have big arms, and then Steph says, "Well, I've got a big pair of these," and uh, puts her hands towards another part of her uh, body, her anatomy, as it were. Um, but uh, um, but yeah, he's a he's a very intelligent man, and if he's forty seven, I can't help but believe he's invested his money well, maybe mm. a lot in gold. <laughs> so he doesn't. I think he's. I think I would be shocked if Kane is still wrestling in 2017. So I would be shocked if we got 20 years of him. Like I, I, don't, think, I don't think I don't think he, he might be given a big send off. Maybe he'll go through and work a part time schedule, but he's not really enough of a special attraction like the Undertaker because you know they would have him lose. They he lost his luster there. 
Um, so you can't really make him just a WrestleMania special feature, um, or even like a SummerSlam special feature. I think. So when he's done, he's done. I think, I think 2015 is the last year of Kane. What 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 has he left to do? Like he's just there for the love of it, and you know what he could have done until recently, and I think he deserved it, but it's not going to happen now. He could have won the Royal Rumble. Oh. And he could have won the Royal Rumble back in the day when there was still a world heavyweight champion. Yeah. Because when and then, they, yeah, because then he thing is though, gets to choose your could champion. Never be the main event. He's gonna yeah. be the main event. But if he was to take on fucking Alberto Del Rio, you know, that, that would have yeah. worked. And I think Kane deserved a, a Royal Rumble <clears> for the work that he put in in that <clears> event. I think that's one last thing he can do. He can surpass Shawn Michaels' record of the most eliminations. eliminations Before Roman does it in three years. Yes, Roman Reigns will probably do it in two or three years from now. I mean, John Cena must be catching up soon. He's, uh, the reason John Cena doesn't have that many is because he's usually defending the title on the That's show. true, that's true. But we might talk about this on another podcast, maybe, in the near future. We mm. have yet to confirm, but when we do, we will let you know. Well, it's round the corner, so... It's round the corner. So I think I think maybe that that's one thing they could give him. They could give him some sort of new record at the Royal Rumble. Um, but I think we're coming up to an hour now, aren't we? Or Thereabouts. Thereabouts. So maybe we should start winding it down. I think we've covered all the... Is there any part of Kane's run that we haven't... I mean, there was a whole Lita, Matt Hardy thing, and that was that was some brilliant trash TV. To be fair, Kane can do some amazing trash TV. The, the whole... The two Lita weddings, the first with Kane and then with the with the singer yeah. and Trish Stratus going out in the very nice uh, white number. And, and the whole two storming of the priest. Yeah. One of my favourite bits of television. His head popping out of the... Yeah. I very... I, I mean... I some people hate them and roll their eyes at them, but I love a good WWE wedding. <laughs> I do love that. It's just as conf- it's as obvious as any kind of unveiling of a cake yeah. or, or trophy presentation. You know what's coming, but sometimes what's coming is going to be glorious. <laughs> and it really was with Kate. and Gene Snitsky reading his poem for Edge and Lita's wedding. And I, I mean, the Gene Snitsky thing was just hilarious. I think after a while. I don't think it was their intention for it to be hilarious, but when they have him punting a baby, <laughs> baby doll into the, into the crowd, that's when you realise they know that this is a comical <laughs> situation. I'm annoyed the crowd didn't throw it back. That would have been amazing. And if it had been the guy who, like, if it had been the guy who was the amazing throw for John Cena in there, where he took that shirt and he like threw it, that was an amazing. That was, like, and it's, that was, that was like incredible. A, Manning quarterback throw. That was, that was amazing. <laughs> Peyton or Eli would have been proud of that. You're right. Yeah. Um, but, yeah. But with Kane... Kane, Kane, could Kane... Be, Kane could be involved in some crap, but sometimes Kane could elevate that crap into mm. something glorious. The trouble is now, obviously, we're about to... Uh, we are slowly bringing our train towards uh, Mount Rushmore Station. Mm. Uh, that, As you, some of you who have listened to previous episodes might have detected... Mm. The trouble is with Kane, he has got so many clips, like Vine-esque clips, yeah. that would moments. be great moments. Setting JR on fire. Yes, that was amazing. <laughs> <laughs> Tombstoning okay. Pete Rose. Yeah, so I think we'll do a, we can have it as matches or moments. Um, but Simon, if you were to say, if you were to make a, co- so let's put it this way, if you were to make a quick... YouTube video where you could show the four key highlights of Kane's career. It could be a match. 
It could be an angle. It could even be just a visual, like you say, of his head popping out of the uh, altar. What would be your four Mount Rushmore Kane moments? Okay. I'm going to start with his comedic side. Mm-hmm. I'm going to have his When Harry Met Sally-esque sketch uh, with Daniel Bryan when they were part of Team Hell No. Mm. Especially for May Young. Who made it? Uh, if you haven't seen that segment, I would highly recommend that you all uh, get on the network or go out there and use uh, YouTube, like the godless heathens you all are, mm-hmm. and uh, do it. Um, I'm going to have to say, I'm going to take the tombstone and the priest. Okay. As well. I'm going to have, there's two of those. Uh, in terms of a match, because I think it'd be remiss of me not to include a match in Kane's uh, repertoire. One of my favourite ones is, and it's the way they built it up, uh, so to speak, is mainly because of what it is, is his Inferno match with Undertaker. Mm. Yeah, that's like, an interesting one. That was a real novelty. That was something you genuinely hadn't seen before. Mm. It was kind of wrestled in the sort of parameters that a lumberjack match or a steel cage match was. But, yeah. I mean... That must have been incredibly hard for them to work under those sort of conditions. Conditions. Just to I, be scared. I, I'd be scared to death at that thing. <laughs> it's like, I mean, uh, this is a personal aside, but I really hate tables matches. Mm. But a tables match is nowhere near as restrictive as an Inferno match. Mm. And I hate a tables match for its restrictions, yet oddly, I love Inferno matches. I yeah. don't know what it is. I think it's the inner pyromaniac in me. <laughs> So that's three. So what's your fourth one? Your, your fourth K moments. Because I have to pick one of these as well as kind of like the definitive mm. one as well. I, so I, mean, I a... don't know because we've had it previously. You yeah, can say his debut. Pre- I don't think you can't ha- not have his debut in yeah. a Mount Rushmore yeah. about Kane. I think that's the one we'll... I mean, I don't want to like force it down your throat too yeah. much, like a la Katie Vick storyline. Mm, mm. But um, I think that's the one I think we'll readily agree on. Yeah. Is his debut. I readily agree on that. That will be my Mount Rushmore too. So this is, it's already a twofer. It's a two-time per, you know, some of the took Bruno Sammartino 18 years to achieve. Kane has achieved. <laughs> with, with, with WWF Championship, it says Kane has achieved that within uh, two or three episodes. I think Kane's debut is phenomenal. And there are other wrestlers who've had great debuts that have tapered off. So I think that's also a testament to his own abilities that he's been able to have a, a career of such longevity beyond that debut but it is still the character was there from the moment he was awe-inspiring he was different he was an inversion of the undertaker and he he added more to the undertaker the undertaker i don't think would be as great an icon now if he hadn't had kane is kane then just to go on aside is kane jaws to undertaker's james bond i would say maybe kane's more moriarty to his sherlock holmes Mm. one needs the other yeah. The, um, or the, well, I won't go that far. Or the, or the master to his doctor. Yeah. Or, or, the master uh, doctor's a good one, I'd say. Yeah. yeah. Um, because he isn't as big a star as The Undertaker is, but... He's bloody good when he's on screen. If The Undertaker's so. like top-tier, all-time greats, Kane is probably second-tier, or the very top of the third-tier of wrestling he's, greats. I mean, he would Kane would have to do an awful lot to ruin his place in the Hall of Fame, which is yeah. 
near, near enough nailed on. Yeah, I think I think Kane could very easily become the be be given not only that, but I could see him being awarded as head of the Hall of Fame of his year, which is a big deal. Um, mm. That is a, that is a factor in in someone's, and I could very easily see Kane being ahead of the year, uh, ahead of the class. Um, as it were. So yeah, I've got to include the debut. So usually I go to the end, but I think it's just too obvious that, that you have to go with that. Um, let's think of some other ones. I loved, I loved him when he, when, I loved when he would just turn up out of nowhere with the lights going out. But I'm trying to think of a good, a great example of that. And there's no definitive one. I mean, I loved it when he did it to Vader and Vader was kind of one of the first ones to stand up to him. But I don't think that's quite enough to, to warrant him being in there. Um, oh, I'll tell you what. Uh, one of my favourite moments with Kane, and I'll put this as, a, again, just adding a, another bit of nuance to his character. Because I think when he was partnered up with Vince McMahon and put into the whole Austin McMahon storyline, I mean, that was part of the brilliance of that storyline, that it could bring in people from different storylines and they would intermingle and then shoot off into their own way. The only other thing that kind of did that similarly was the NWO and also uh, Tommy Dreamer Ravens feud in ECW. Um, but I think it... Here's another... There, there we go. No, actually, it's the first part was great, but I'll do when, what led to its end. I loved it when they had Kane speak for the first time, because they were kind of weaning him off Paul Bearer, was when the uh, Vincent Mann said Kane will speak his first words, and he was like, well, that doesn't make sense. And then it, it turned out he had one of those throat box things... If I don't win the title. That was really cool. That was a really cool extra touch. But maybe the best part of that was when a year from then, as they tried to humanise Kane more, when X-Pac insisted that he take off his um, voice box to speak to the people and that his first lines without the voice box was suck it. That's 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 my other that's my second Mount Rushmore moment. Kane's first words without the voice box telling people to suck it. I mean that that could have gone too far when Kane was going to be a part of DX and have a green and red or a green and black thing. I'm glad it didn't go that far, but apparently there were designs made and everything for it. That would have been too far, and that would have killed off some of the character that they never did. Uh, so I put that in um, just to make a quick championing of, of little uh, forgotten gems because a lot of people love the Albert match and I enjoy that too. But a match I really enjoyed during the Invasion storyline was the match he had with Test at No Mercy in 2001. That was a really good big man match. And Kane took the loss in that match, but he looked great and Test looked great. And I think if Test had gone on to bigger things, that would be cited more often as one of those uh, star-making performances. But I'm going to put another star-making performance that Kane was a part of and played his role in perfectly. And that was the TLC match in December of 2012, which was Kane... Daniel Bryan and Ryback against the Shield. Now Kane wasn't really the the the, the biggest part of the match. In in many ways, he was probably the, the the smallest factor in the match because it was more getting Ryback over, getting the Shield over, and Daniel Bryan took the fall. But Kane played his role as the monster. He was still a monster, but it took a spear through the guardrail and it took them piling loads of rubble on top of him to stop him. And it made the Shield look good for being clever. It made Daniel Bryan look good because he kept fighting without his partner. It made Ryback look good because he looked almost unstoppable as well. And and it also showed how Kane could play a part in another person's storyline. Whereas The Undertaker could never just be a, a bit part player in someone else's story. So it again shows Kane as a team player as much in that regards. And since you mentioned that's a, the... That's a good choice. That, yeah. 
that was a really it was really weird because I think that was the first TLC match in recent times to be the rules were pinfall or submission and it was yeah. just a weapons match with those three weapons. Yeah. And TLC can sometimes feel very overplayed, but I think because it was the six of them and because it really explained what the shield was, kind of this collective unit, but also starting to introduce the different strengths of the different partners and particularly mm. I thought Dean Ambrose came across really well in that and no, to be fair they all did. Dean Ambrose was showing great facial expressions. Roman Reigns just looked like a star. Uh, he did look like, even then, you were like, this guy's going to get pushed yeah. to the moon. And Seth Rollins took a crazy fall from a ladder over a bunch of tables and smacked the back of his head. Oh, that was one of the nastiest things I've ever seen. Um, if Daniel Bryan and Kane and, right, well, more Kane and Daniel Bryan hadn't done their job as the really popular tag team characters, that was really lucky for The Shield as well, that the Team Hell No were at their peak as well. And and just had just become friends and that whole that whole thing is is another great one and I'm gonna have to include something in that I mean the fact that the WWE uh, fans voted for them to have a hug instead of a match that was so good and Kane was so funny in that and ah oh, can't believe I'm not gonna use the Pete Rose because that was a great little thing if that had kept going beyond those three years if they'd have somehow been able to make that stretch that out almost like that was Kane's version of the streak. <laughs> Every WrestleMania, he tombstone Pete Rose. That would have that could have been amazing. And just if they could have had, to, I don't know if they would have been able to come up with something different each time. Mm. Um, but I think I'm going to have to have his speech to the class with Doctor Shelby of his backstory. And it was a, a kind of a, it, it was just a brilliant summation of the craziness of the WWE at times, the the, the inconsistency of the Kane character, but the fact that Glenn Jacobs, as a performer, could pull it off. And keep going. Keep going. And I, I, I love the fact that there are different sides to this cane. I mean, I always hoped that this corporate cane and the demon cane thing could have been kind of like a, a Kijimuto to a great Muta sort of split personality or, or a mankind cactus jack dude love. It's come a bit too late and, you know, that win-loss percentage suggests that Demon Kane isn't much better than Corporate Kane in getting the job done. But I think, I hope that this conversation has maybe given some more sceptical people or some people who don't necessarily look back at the whole big picture or maybe are very frustrated at, at what Kane represents in WWE storylines now to maybe separate the player from the game mm. you know that that you should appreciate what and i don't again smart stuff like constantly refers to him by his real name but i think glenn jacobs is maybe one of the most underrated performers in modern wrestling um and and that's one of the reasons why i was so keen that he be the first person that we discuss mm. uh, for a whole episode because he's one of those few people uh, that have been a part in both our formative wrestling lives and our current wrestling lives now. Uh, obviously, you started a little bit before me, but he's he's still been a constant since when I started as well. I mean, if you look at it, he's done 17 years now straight. And before then, he was he was doing house shows as Diesel right up to about September. No, no, no. He was doing house shows as Isaac Yankum. And he was doing work as fake diesel right up to a few months. So he's really been on a full-time constant schedule. I think even longer than The Undertaker. Because The Undertaker must have bowed out of regular uh, involvement since about 2009, I would say. 
Mm. Even then, he had his long stretches of off time, which I don't think Kane was ever really afforded. Um, so I, think I can't remember Kane ever being injured either. No, for too long. So. Not for long stretches. I mean, he had his big comeback as a babyface before the whole Katie Vick scenario. And also, just yeah, just to reiterate another great Kane moment, if I could fit into the the um, the uh, Mount Rushmore, was when he made his comeback and took out DX and the Radicals after that amazing 10-man tag. And that was only like two, three weeks after he'd gone off screen because Tori had betrayed him. Mm. And that shows just how much of a presence Kane was and can be. And long and, and may may this lead to a reappreciation of his works, much like how the re-release of Blade Runner <laughs> led to that. I'm not saying Kane is the wrestling equivalent of Blade Runner, but I think Kane, aka Glenn Jacobs, deserves a lot more credit than he's got. Mm. And I'm glad that you and I have hopefully um, gone a long way to restoring that. For, well, I don't know if we. I, I wouldn't go that far. Not like, <laughs> not like Mark Kermode re, re-championing the, <laughs> the Exorcist or Slade in Flames. But I think, I think that is our long-term goal. That is our way. long-term goal. We will be the wrestling equivalent of Mark Kermode. Uh, we're gonna have to grow the hair out a bit, both you and I. But uh, I think you could do it. Actually, you could rock a gelled uh, quiff quite well. I would if it wasn't starting to go. I mean, ah. that's that's a personal aside, but it is starting to recede at the tips of the ah, yeah. Well, I don't know. It's up to you, man. I'm just saying, it's a suggestion. you got the dark hair for it. <laughs> but anyway, if, Simon, people want to talk to you about grooming tips or anything else, or if they want to hear your voice, as we were discussing about the amazing world of soccer ball... What can they do? What can? How can they follow you? How can they find you? Uh, well, those who uh, are footballing inclined can obviously listen to uh, Mid-Table Crisis with my uh, co-host Tom Patrick, who is currently out in the US of A, actually. Oh. So uh, we are on a temporary hiatus uh, while he enjoys a uh, Louisiana-style Christmas. Oh, New Orleans, is he? Around that region. Mm. Uh, <clears throat> and as... Those of you who want to ask me for grooming tips, first of all, you're clinically insane. <laughs> Secondly, my Twitter handle is Simon Crossfree, so you can always talk to me on there. And uh, where where can our where can our fans get hold of yourself? Well, they can probably find me in the streets very easily of Birmingham, um, just trying to keep away from eye contact with anyone, especially if they're in a German market at the moment. But <laughs> by the time this comes out, that will have long gone. Thank. For that, um, but if they want to follow me on Twitter, my Twitter handle is Lorcan Mullen. That's L O R C A N M U W L A for Apple N. And if you want to uh, read my book about my times in the coal mines of wrestling fandom, then by all means go to Amazon and purchase an ebook of Confessions of a Smart Wrestling Fan. And if you don't have an ebook, you can, but you do have a smartphone, an iPhone, or an Android, you can get an app to read Kindle books. So it should be available to you in a small digitized version, perfect for your phone when you're on the commute, on the train, or on the bus, or when you're just at bed at night and the wife is annoyed at, well, let's be honest, um, wife. the, the, <laughs> the neighbours are annoyed at the bright lights in your, emanating from your room. 
so you can read it under the covers like you did your old Stephen King novel when you were 12. Um, but yeah. Well, that magazine you found in the bush that one time. Yes. <laughs> wonder what it is now. You're not re- people aren't really going to leave laptops lying in the bushes, are they, anymore? No, it's, it's, it's something that's gone. It's like making barrels. It's a lost yeah, art. It is. Things, just, oh, things were just so much better back in the day. I'll tell you what, I'll tell you what people used to be able to do. I'll tell you what my mum used to be able to do, and I don't see anyone being able to do it anymore, but I think it's just mums can do this. Do you find that your mum butters bread? Just, it's a work of art. It, it, I, I can't explain it. it yes. Yeah. It, it's, it's a science that must come with pregnancy. Yeah, it must be something that comes into of. their mandula oblongata or something. It's, it's a work of art and, and something that I've yet to master. But I have mastered the art of bantering for extremely long periods of time about professional wrestling. And if you've enjoyed this and want to hear a lot more of it then by all means follow us on our SoundCloud page. Maybe we'll be on iTunes by now. We both need to find out how to do that. But until then, yes, until then, my name is Lorcan Mullen. My name's Simon Cross. And good night, Grapple fans. We'll see you again soon. Take care. I grew up locked in a basement, suffering severe psychological and emotional scarring when my brother set my parents on fire. From there, I shifted around among a series of mental institutions until I was grown, at which point I buried my brother alive. Twice. Since then, I've set a couple of people on fire and abducted various co-workers. Oh, and I uh, once electrocuted a man's testicles. Years ago, I had a girlfriend named Katie, but uh, let's just say that that didn't turn out so well. My real father is a guy named Paul Bearer, who I recently trapped in a meat locker. I've been married, divorced, broke up my ex-wife's wedding and tombstone the priest. And for reasons never quite explained, I have an unhealthy obsession with torturing Pete Rose. Okay, maybe we should call it a day.